Hey, everyone, this is Tom Salemi. Welcome back to the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. It's great to have you here. We have an all-hands-on-deck situation here today. Our first interview is by Associate Editor Sean Hooley. Sean spoke with the CEO of the newly spun-out Embecta. It's being spun out of Becton Dickinson. Sean spoke with CEO Dev Kurdikar and CFO Jake Elgoes about the spin-out about Embecta's plans and its future. So uh, great job by Sean bringing us uh, those thoughts from uh, the leaders of this new company. And then later on, we've got uh, an interesting interview by Jim Hammerin. Jim is the managing editor of our great medical design and outsourcing magazine. On the cover of the most recent issue of medical design and outsourcing, you will see today's guest, Tori Smith, the CEO and co-founder of Endiotics. Endiotics is developing a fleet of micro robots. Looks a lot like the uh, vessel in Fantastic Voyage. And Endiotics' goal is to create a robot that can essentially do what an endoscope does, that can be swallowed by a patient and that can look around and be controlled by, well, by those who have the controllers. Uh, Tori Smith has some interesting ideas as to where this care can be delivered. Obviously, as he notes, we've seen some progress in this area, and Tori Smith says they're building off of the success of companies like Given and Medtronic. So uh, it's certainly a futuristic tale, uh, but it's one that Endiotics is working to tell. So uh, I hope you will enjoy that conversation. But of course, we're going to kick off this episode with Newmarker's Newsmakers. Chris Newmarker is back, and he and I will review the big news of the week. Before we begin, though, I want to hit a few housekeeping items. First of all, please remember to uh, register for our upcoming in-person meetings. We would love, love, love to meet you in person. You have a choice to go to Device Talks Boston on May 10th and 11th at the Boston Convention and Exhibition Center. You can register for that at devicetalks.com. You can also register for Device Talks Minnesota. That'll take place on June 6th and 7th. When you're registering for one and, oh, I hope both, use the code DTW25 to save yourself 25% off the cost of registration. Finally, I did want to remind you that Device Talks Tuesday is underway. It's been underway for a couple of weeks now, and it's rolling. On Tuesday at 4 p.m., we'll have a session sponsored by Silicon Labs, it's called Securing Portable Medical Devices, Challenges, and Solutions. So if you're uh, building yourself a portable medical device, this is an essential conversation. Go to devicetalks.com to register. You can watch it live or you can watch it on demand. I think that's all the housekeeping for right now. So let's begin this episode of the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. All right, you ready for this? Ready. Oh, one more thing. Uh, in a few minutes, I'm going to say a ridiculous number of hours, 5,380 hours. I should have said minutes. I think it'll be clear as the conversation continues. But uh, yeah, I did that. Marker, how are you, sir? Doing well, doing well. Happy Friday, man. 
We're recording this on a Friday today. That's right. Friday, just before noon here in Boston. It's in the 50s and uh, the sun is trying to come out. So uh, spring is uh, springing after some uh, real feels in the single digits earlier this week. So blech, enough of that. Yeah. Yeah. It's sunny here in the 30s, you know, but at least the snow's pretty much gone. And so you- that's. <laughs> pretty much gone <laughs> we don't have to talk about the weather anymore i think we i think we annoyed people enough with that last time yeah so we have a, a bit of a milestone that occurred to me this morning chris that i think we're on our two-year anniversary we would have oh, uh, launched this podcast march of 2020 i don't have the exact date but it was definitely the end of march 2020 and uh wow. so happy anniversary Happy anniversary, Tom. Yep. Time flies by when you're having fun. Exactly. So I did some math. I went through all the past episodes and, and added up the times. And we have created 5,358 hours of enjoyment for folks. Wow. Yeah. Which is nearly 90 hours of fun and excitement. In that is medicine. awesome. It is. And, and I did some more math because, you know, me and math were like this. Yeah. Uh, you could watch... The in the same amount of time you would have to watch all of the Lord of the three Lord of the Rings movies. Wow. The entire MCU and nearly all of the Star Wars movies to get that amount of wow. quality content. You wouldn't want to watch all of the Star nearly Wars. Nearly all the Star Yeah. I mean, so, which one would you not watch? Oh, we tried to watch uh Attack of the Clones or whatever. It's the second second and it was just just I, I love my son dearly, but I was just like after 20 minutes on my I'm sorry. Like I'm I can't watch this. <laughs> I yeah. just kind of got just, up and walked away. And he agreed. It's just, it's bad. So you can, you can skip the yeah. whole, you can skip the first two, quote unquote, the first two in my mind. Um, Are you including like some of the spinoff movies, like that solo movie? Like uh, uh, I'm, I'm considering them. I mean, Rogue One yeah. was a fantastic movie. I think Rogue One is a yeah. top three Star Wars movie in my mind. It was awesome. Movie. That was great. Yeah. Solo was okay. Solo was all right. Yeah, it's all right. Yeah, it was enjoyable, but it's watchable. Some of those it others. Good, it was a good that you know that it was a Ron Howard movie. You know that's that's the definition I think of a Ron Howard. There movie. you go. It was enjoyable. <laughs> it was an enjoyable movie. Well, Ron Howard did not to go to he did the paper with Michael Keaton. Did you watch the paper as a as a young yeah. journalist? Yeah, yeah, that's a good it's a good good journalist movie. Yeah, absolutely, good. yeah. So yeah. Ron Howard makes makes us some good flicks. So anyway, so ninety hours of medtech enjoyment. Uh, thanks to everyone who's been part of this uh, amazing journey. Uh, we have had 96 Device Talks weekly episodes, uh, so we're or 95. Well, Tom, here's the hoping we get another 90, at least, you know, like here's here's to another 90 uh, hours Amen, of brother. enjoyment. That's right. It should not take us two years to do that because I was looking at the times and uh, these episodes certainly are a lot longer than they used to be. The first one we put out was 27 minutes long. Wow. The shortest one we ever did was 14 minutes long. Wow. Which was just about Medtronic's buying spree. I don't know what possessed me to do a 14-minute. And the longest yeah. one was 90-some-odd minutes long. Wow. I think that was our Arigato Mr. Roboto episode. So yeah, uh, we definitely are going longer than we used to. But uh, I like to think... Uh, it's good stuff. Because it's good stuff. Yeah. Good stuff. You know? What are we going to cut out? This banter? This stuff? Right. This is... This no, is maybe this. we should. <laughs> good point, good point. <laughs> there we go all right so takeaways rogue one is a damn good movie yes. and uh we've produced a lot of content well there, folks, there we so. go all right well we're done That's with it. the episode tom all right nice talk. talking to you chris I mean, have a yeah, good weekend bye you too all right. <laughs> <Have a party. laughs>
Was there any news this week, Chris Newmark? I got a feeling there were probably some top news stories of the week. There were, you know, and we have a name for those. Those are called the New Markers Newsmakers. So. That's right. It's yes. been so long. In fact, I, yes. I do want to. I want to tell folks that we were going to have a, a special guest in the boost this week, but uh, uh, Chris and I weren't feeling particularly at our best yesterday. Chris was uh, got home late from a from a very enjoying enjoyable vacation. And yeah. uh, First I, got, time I had the family in an airplane in, in years. So it was great. Wow. Yeah. So it was, it was that, actually so really awesome. Was, that would contribute to any fatigue that you felt yesterday. Yes. And I got uh, I got my booster on Wednesday and I felt like crap on Thursday. So it may have been a, a side effect or could have been a, 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 a bad encounter with dairy. Uh, or we'll both. see. <laughs> I'll, we'll, we'll, we'll send the casserole to the lab and see what they say. But regardless, <clears throat> We didn't. We had to cancel on our special guest, but she will be yeah. back next week. So it'd be cool uh, if you sent her the lab and you saw them put hazmat suits on before they looked at the, <laughs> looked at the casserole. Like it was, just, it was delightful. It was a tasty casserole. What kind but, was uh, it? A tuna casserole? Or? No, it was a, it was a Mexican casserole with <laughs> oh, cornbread stuffing. That it sounds was, great. It was, it was delicious. Uh, Maybe that was the problem. Was, when I was, when I was growing up, my mom <laughs> would make tuna casseroles. Sometimes I was just like, like you know, yeah, it's just I've like never, it's not not my top meal of the of the week like you know, okay. um, yeah cube steak I, I mean you know <laughs> i'm not gonna rag on cube steak that was it was all right you know is it a number five yeah, anyway. on the new markers news <laughs> yeah let's move on here i mean number five <laughs> number five on the uh on the, <laughs> on the new markers newsmakers. <laughs> we've got um We've got the, uh, the the U.S. Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency issuing a uh, a notice, uh, you know, about uh, you know potential uh, cybersecurity issues with a with Philips eAlert MRI monitoring, you know, uh, system, um, you know, and just uh, you know saying that. Um, that you know it's a potential vulnerability uh, related to missing authentication for critical function but i mean it's just basically like you know just pointing out you know, this has been kind of like an ongoing you know trend that we've been covering is that you know like the, the, the you know it seems our our industry like they're they're pointing and there's definitely cybersecurity is a, an issue that companies are Absolutely. still still working through and um you know, and, and definitely a very, uh, you know, a very serious issue because, you know, we don't don't want to have any ransomware, uh, you know, associated with our uh, with our uh, with our medical devices. Well, in, in particular, with all that's gone on going on uh, in, in Ukraine and the, the invasion by Russia, certainly, I think all of our our guards are up and, and should be for yeah. uh, for some sort of attacks. I did note at, at the end of the article, which was written by Sean Hooley, of course. Uh, a Philips spokesman told Mass Device that co- the company had received no reports of exploitation. And uh, as its e-alert hardware is not a metal device, there is no risk to patient safety. So yeah, it's important to, to point that out. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'd also like to point out that the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency might need a nickname. I don't know. Just it's, it's a lot. I know. Yeah, yeah. it's a lot. Yeah, it's a as lot. A, yeah, maybe Shield or something cool. Something. Oh, yeah. Shield. That sounds yeah. good. Yeah, that would be epic. <laughs> <laughs> All right, number four on the new mark is newsmakers. Number four, <laughs> Shield. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I'm surprised you didn't measure the length of all our podcasts by like you know Marvel movies. Like if you watch the entire <laughs> Avengers franchise, <laughs> like, I was going to break it down by movies. by phases of, of the MCU, but I just combined all the phases together. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, number four on the list, we've got. Uh, uh, you know, uh, BioBeat 
uh, receiving, uh, you know, FDA clearance for its uh, wearable wearable remote patient monitoring device. Uh, monitors uh, respiratory rate, body temperature, um, and it's uh, in addition to like uh, cuffless blood pressure, blood oxygen saturation, and pulse rates. So, uh, so yeah, just uh, you know, this, you know, the, it just the, these wearables and all all kinds of these you know monitoring devices that are um, FDA regulated. This is just another hot space, and you know, another uh, another another device there that's now been uh, cleared and you know for for the market. Fantastic. And I'm looking it up right now. Our longest uh, podcast is still shorter than Ant-Man and Runtime and Doctor Strange, which I think are probably two of the shorter ones. So yeah, uh, I don't think we're we're not quite at at Marvel movie uh, length yet, but we'll we'll work on it. Yeah. So uh, no, very cool stuff about about BioBeat. And um, I mean, this is uh, something that we're going to continue to talk about at our upcoming meetings, just the, the growth and the power of wearables. So uh, important stuff to keep tracking, and it's interesting that it's uh, it's making the the top five list. I guess there's yeah. obviously a lot of interest as. Yeah, a lot of times I, I said <laughs> we, we mainly pick these new markers, newsmakers based on a, what what stories have been getting the most page views over the past week, and this has had uh, you know, hundreds of people like read this article. So um, so yeah, it's 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 definitely something that's getting some attention. So very cool. Very cool indeed. All right, move on to number three on the new markers, newsmakers. Oh, you know, number three is another, uh, you know, hot space, which has been like, there's a lot, a lot of neat stuff going on right now with, uh, you know, uh, contact lenses and, you know, yeah. ophthalmological products. And, you know, we got some more news in that area. We got Star Surgical receiving, uh, you know, FDA approval for its, uh, you know, Evo, Evo Plus. Let me see if I can pronounce that right. Vision implantable columnar uh, lens. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's biocompatible implantable lenses uh, for you know correction of uh, myopia and uh, myopia with a astigmatism so uh, so just another uh, you know you know this this these lenses these evo lenses implanted within um, the posterior chamber of the eye directly behind the iris and uh, in front of the natural uh, crystalline lens um, so so yeah just uh, another uh, you know other neat neat product in this ophthalmological space that we've been seeing a lot of news around lately Absolutely. And this is an alternative to LASIK, uh, which is something I'm all for. I've never been quite comfortable with the lasers in the eye thing. Yeah. Although thousands, if not millions of people yeah. have done it. Tons and they're of people fine, have done it. Yeah, exactly. Personally, myself, just not something I want to do. But this is something I would consider. I would I would prefer to treat presbyopia. I think I'd like to get rid of my presbyopia. I'm fine with, with my myopia. I've always been comfortable with my myopia, but don't like these uh, progressive lenses, my friend. Reading stuff up close. Yep, I'm slowly moving through reading glasses right now. So, yep. <laughs> think, come this I, way, Chris Newmarker. I think just today I was reading something to somebody over the phone and realized my my reading glasses weren't up to snuff. I might have to get a new new higher magnification, you know, so. or a longer arm. Yes, yes. put them. Yes. All right. Okay. <laughs> Number <Wow>. two. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. <laughs> on the new markers, Tom. newsmakers. Uh, number two. <laughs> It's interesting doing this in the morning because we're uh, we're, we're definitely a little more we're a little more mellow. It's like a, a little more mellow, a little punchy, a little, little punchy, a little punchy. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, different not, energy we level. We don't sound quite as defeated as we normally do, so it's great. Well, Tom, let's talk. <laughs> <laughs> Why even bother with number two? Chris? Who cares? No, number. <laughs> 
Number two on the list, we've got a BD completing the spinoff of their uh, Embecta uh, diabetes company. So, um, you know, we've been seeing a lot of, you know, like a few years ago, it was all about acquisitions, acquisitions, you know, bigger companies. Now, like we're seeing like spinoff, spinoff, you know, they're, you know, like it seems that we're, we're in a spinoff cycle right now. I mean, I I, I spoke to the CEO of uh, Zimvi, uh, you know, a few weeks ago after they spun out of Zimber Biomed and, uh, and actually, uh, you know, uh, I, I was uh, talking to our associate editor, Sean Hooley, this morning, and he, he was uh, making arrangements to talk to the uh, the, the leadership of this uh, new Embecta, you know, spinoff. So that should be uh, that should be a neat, neat story uh, you know, oh, when, it, when it comes through. Uh, you know, but, um, you know, it, interesting, you know, it, it should be, um, you know, it's. Uh, Oh, oh yes, and the, do you want to? It looks like we have uh, Sean. Sean got what the, the name of this company means. That's always fun. Um, uh, M um, refers to the empathy for those leading with uh, diabetes. Well, the uh, Becht is not uh, to Becton Dickinson. So, oh, okay. oh, they didn't. They didn't just use the the random company names generator to figure out how to, <laughs> how to name this company. It actually, it actually. Empathy, you know, a little little nod to it being part of BD in the past. You know, so. All right, so like Zim V has the Z, the Zim in there, and Becta has the Beck in there. The yeah, Beckton. there you go. Okay, so. All right, we'll take a quick break from New Markers Newsmakers to bring you the interview that I promised. Sean Hooley, associate editor of Mass Device, asks Embecta's CEO, Dev Kurtikar, about the company's plans and capabilities following the spin-out. Let's listen. Embecta is the largest diabetes injection devices producer in the world. We do, we did last year about a billion two in revenue. Our products are available in a hundred countries. We estimate 30 million people use our product annually. We make 8 billion devices approximately a year in three highly automated plants in China, one in Ireland, one in the United States. And we are the, the leader in pen needles uh, in virtually every region of the world that we are present in. We have slightly over 2,000 employees on day one. 600 or so commercially focused employees, half of them in emerging markets, which is a spot of strength for us. Our mission is to develop and provide solutions for people with diabetes. Uh, We'll continue to be headquartered in the New Jersey area, uh, not in BD's offices. We will move out of BD's offices and have our own facility. And I don't want to sort of, I want to make sure, Sean, I, I comment on the fact that while we might be a newly listed company today, we have a 98 year history of being in this business. Insulin itself has been used to treat diabetes since 1922. And just two years after that, we introduced the first specialized syringe for the delivery of insulin. And we've been making injection devices for insulin ever since. Mm. Yeah, that's definitely something I wanted to touch on was uh, this obviously isn't a new space and obviously this isn't, you know, a startup. This is a, a spinoff. And you, is there any sort of like betting in period for the company um, as far as, you know, having to, I know uh, I was talking with a colleague because I myself am not 
too well versed in spinoffs, but he was telling me that a lot of spinoffs, you know, a lot of it starts with paying off debt. Um, are there things that you have to really set up or because so much has already been put in place just through the fact that this diabetes business has been around for a while? Um, is it, is it business, almost business as usual? Yeah, so let me comment on the second part of the question first, Sean, then I'm going to invite my colleague Jake to talk a little bit about uh, the financial flexibility that we certainly think we have right from day one. But with respect to the second part of your question, diabetes care business as a division of BD had people that were focused on R&D for diabetes, our manufacturing plants were largely segregated. And the commercial folks that I talked about, the 600 commercially focused employees, they were all focused on diabetes. So we are fortunate on day one itself to have people that were already dedicated to the diabetes care business now become part of Embecta. The parts that we have to build as we build out our standalone company that is not you know, unexpected would be more in the corporate functions, you know, corporate finance, IR, treasury, corporate HR, and so on and so forth. So, you know, we, we, we start off on day one with a fairly focused and dedicated team that is familiar with R&D, manufacturing, and certainly, you know, we, we, are, we managed to keep the long-standing relationships we have with our customers all over the world. Uh, with respect to your first question, I'm going to invite my colleague Jake to, to take that. Yeah, thank, thanks, Evan and Sean. Again, uh, good morning. It's uh, it's nice to talk to you. So, so look, um, you know, I I, I came for the spin. Um, I was not uh, necessarily a legacy uh, uh, VD diabetes care uh, employee, but but I joined actually uh, the day they announced uh, the spin uh, on last May. Uh, so I've been here for uh, for a little over eleven months, and and um, you, you know, candidly, I, I think that Invecta is is pretty uniquely positioned. Uh, you know, we, we have scale at, at about 1.2 billion in, re- in revenue, you know, certainly to be relevant to our customers, uh, you know, whether it's the pharmacy channel, retailers, whatnot, globally. Uh, you know, we have very, very good geographic reach. You know, about half of our revenue comes from the U.S., about a third from, from Europe. Uh, and then the remainder is sort of split 15% or so in, in Asia and about 5% in Latin America. So good geographic reach. Um, we're not tied to any one particular product. Um, and, and obviously a lot of our products are, are, you know, they're, they're not easily postponed, right? Individuals need to, to have our products to get insulin uh, injected into the, into their body to deal with their diabetes. Um, so we're not tied to an elective procedure, uh, or, or capital equipment either. It's, it's a very stable, I would say recurring, you know, revenue stream. Now, obviously we, we have a, established distribution network uh, and commercial infrastructure and, and manufacturing footprint, all of which is, is coming with, with the deal. Um, and, it, you know, our business today is a very, very highly profitable and, and cash generative uh, business. Uh, and I think out of the gate, um, you know, we are going to have the, the financial flexibility as we thought about our capital structure, um, you know, a mixture of, Payable debt, uh, but then also some fixed rate capital uh, that it, that is termed out. Uh, so we don't necessarily have any near term uh, maturities, um, you know. But we certainly have the ability, if we so choose, to uh, to to pay down debt. You know, um, obviously we intend. You know, the strategy for 
perspective is really going to be f- focused around growth, uh, and it's it's going to be an invest for growth story. And we're certainly committed to uh, to making uh, the investments organically necessary to uh, to try and increase R and D and 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 really create a company that that is able to uh, to drive sustainable uh, increased uh, constant currency revenue growth rates going forward. Um, and, and we have you know a, a product. Uh, underway, it's a it's an insulin patch pump that I'm sure Dev can can talk to you more about. That could be a a, a significant uh, growth driver for us in the future, and we have some other products under development already uh, as well. Uh, but I th- I think our our capital structure right out of the gate is going to allow us that that flexibility to to both make those internal organic investments uh, as well as you know we would we would you know to the extent that M and A becomes available and or partnership opportunities. Uh, certainly would look to to do uh, things in in that area as well, and I think again our our capital structure really allows uh, that nice mix of flexibility for us to do all of those things. Glad you mentioned the uh, the patch pump because uh, I you know I, I wanted to learn more about just what your product portfolio looks like now. You already you've already established yourself uh, as far as injection devices and things like that. So, you know, what are sort of the the lead products? You know, are there things like the patch pump you mentioned in development that you can go into detail on and and you know, what what kind of I guess spaces are you looking to move into within diabetes uh if any? Right. The the space that we are currently in Insulin administration, right? Broadly, it's categorized as injection devices, which you know we are certainly a leader in, and then delivery of insulin by infusion pumps. That's an area that's of uh, tremendous uh, opportunity for us. We are developing a patch pump. We are targeting the development to make it suitable for type two, as you may know. So the currently available pumps were designed for type one. People with type 1 diabetes, we are designing it for type 2, and there are some differences between the user needs and preferences if you are type 2 versus if you are type 1. We have a breakthrough device designation from the FDA on the product, which we found to be tremendously helpful in working with the FDA to understand some of the key regulatory requirements and understand them while we are in the midst of development. So, so we know the work that we are doing is is uh, is aligned with our understanding of what they'll be looking for. And so that's an exciting opportunity for us. You know, from an M&A and uh, uh, partnership standpoint, you know, there are other technologies that are being developed out there. You know, smart pens are being developed. Uh, Healthcare, you know, IT type of ecosystems are being developed. Um, those are areas that we will look at, all with the intent of how do we make, how do we sort of widen our product portfolio, while making sure that we have a suite of market appropriate products because the needs and affordability concerns in emerging markets are going to be very different than they are in developed markets. And we want to have a suite of products that we can use and really leverage the strength that we have in both both developed and emerging markets. So R&D, M&A, partnerships, we'll all look to, we'll all look to add products. We largely, at least initially, they focus in insulin administration and 
if you will, affiliated spaces. Great. Thank you. And, uh, you know, it's interesting, Try you know, with this patch pump, for instance, there are obviously competitors as there is with basically anything. Uh, so how do you, you know, because as you described it, this is sort of a unique situation. Embecta is a unique company as far as being new, but not really being new. You know, how do you plan to compete with companies that may already be sort of established in that, um, in that range beyond the fact that you say, uh, the, the pump is designed for, you know, most pumps are designed for type one and you can sort of figure figure out new things there but yeah uh just how, how do you plan to compete i guess is a general question yeah so besides the fact that we're actually designing and and, and developing the the pump specifically type 2 and and there are some notable differences as i mentioned between type 2 needs and type 1 needs you know one example i'll give you is that uh the the, the typical type 2 person with diabetes uses more insulin a day on average than a typical type 1 and we are designing the pump to hold more insulin than the currently available patch pump. That's an example of uh, of a distinguishing feature. But putting aside distinguishing features, the three other things that come to my mind are the type 2 space is large, it's growing, it's underpenetrated. Right? Pump penetration, we estimate, is in the single-digit range in the type 2 population. And there are only a handful of players, especially if you contrast it with how big that patient population is. The second thing is we already have an existing pharmacy channel. Right? Our products are sold through pharmacies in many parts of the world, certainly in the U.S. So we have relationships with retail pharmacists. We contract with payers. So some of the channel strength that you need to be able to successfully commercialize a patch pump, we already have. The third thing is potential users of our patch pump may already be using our product today. So if you are a type 2 person who's injecting yourself, it is possible that you go to the pharmacy and buy our products today and you have a box of products in our home. So that gives us a unique opportunity to reach these people and educate them on our pump when available. For those three reasons, and then you add on to that the, you, the unique features that we are designing into the pump, gives us confidence that we will be able to make and find our own space in the type 2 market. Awesome. And, you know, uh, obviously there's, there's so much that goes into, into these things, um, that I can't even begin to comprehend, but I guess, you know, to, to almost summarize, if, if you could, uh, in the, in the simplest of ways, you know, what, why spin off now? Why was this decision made? You know, what is the overall, you know, sort of reason behind it and, and the benefits that, that we may see, you know, whether soon or down the line, uh, you know, wh- why now? The decision to spin off was communicated, Sean, May of last year, right? It takes uh, uh, some time to actually execute the spin. We were carving out a company that was being, that has been part of BD for almost 98 years and standing it up as its own public company. Why spin? Now, this spin is, is consistent with, uh, with the BD 2025 strategy. But 
us at Embecta, we look at this and say, as we mentioned before, that diabetes is a large growing market with unmet need. This is a business that has strength. Revenue is strong, stable. We are a profitable business. Spin comes though, the strategic operational and financial flexibility to grow the business, right? We have our own capital structure. We can take our own profits and invest them back into our business. And we are able, frankly, to attract talent as an independent public company of people focused on creating solutions for people with diabetes. I spoke about m partnerships before. We become a, a more attractive partner as an independent company because now you know you are working with a company that's focused on this space. So we see a lot of benefits of being of being our own independent company and a chance to really, you know, further or make progress in our vision of a life unlimited by, by diabetes and having the, the financial flexibility, the talent, the ability to make decisions faster, you know, that's far more enhanced with the spin. Great. I really appreciate you taking time out of an obviously busy, but as you said, a, a, a pretty exciting time. Thank you so much and congratulations on the great news. Thank you, Sean, for your time. And I hope we get a chance to speak to you again so we can update you on the progress that we've made uh, since we last spoke. All right, Chris Newmarker, that sounds great. Well, now, what is number one, the big number one on the Newmarker's Newsmakers list? Well, number one on the list is that Owens & Minor uh, completed its uh, $1.6 billion acquisition of uh, Apria. Um, so, you know, this is uh, Apria is a developer of home medical equipment for uh, respiratory therapy, sleep apnea treatment, negative uh, pressure wound therapy and continuous glucose uh, monitoring. So just something like that. So we're not we're not done with the big acquisitions. And, uh, you know, this this definitely like expands, uh, you know, like Owens and Miners, uh, you know, you know offerings i mean you know, they're kind of saying this will help them create you know a company that has like you know, a, you know like a really broad portfolio of uh complementary products for you know people with you know both chronic and non-chronic you know conditions so so yeah just just expanding owens, owens and miners reach yeah no and this well this is certainly a zig to the zag of, of item two right when we were talking about spinouts <laughs> there you go a... right i mean we're seeing all these spinoffs, but we're still seeing like you know multi-billion dollar acquisitions so it's all going on but this is uh home health care so obviously a lot of move there respiratory a lot of move there so yeah. uh so yeah big move for uh for owens and minor thanks for uh thanks for putting that together i try you try and you succeed Chris Newmarker. Now let's hear from Jim Hamrand and his interview with Tori Smith, the CEO and co-founder of Andiotics. I'm here with Tori Smith. He's the co-founder and CEO of Andiotics, a Bay Area startup that's developed an inexpensive, swallowable pill cam that can swim around inside your stomach to have a look, much like you would with an endoscope. It's the start of what Smith hopes will come to be known as hardcore telemedicine. And he knows Pillbot can swim and see because he and his team have swallowed about 20 of them. So, Tori, what's special about your Pillbot and what's the market you're chasing with this first iteration? Sure. Well, I think what's special is basically that Pillbot can move under its own power. And Pillbot can move under its own power 
outside of the confines of, say, like a big magnetic piece of capital equipment. Uh, there's awesome work being done right now with sort of like the little brother of an MRI machine where you can induce motion in, in tiny objects. And that's very cool. But what we want to do is cut the cord on the hospital visit itself. We want to dematerialize you know, a patient's journey through the healthcare system, which is usually three, four, five, six trips to the hospital before you get an upper endoscopy. Let's just take that 10 minutes of actual scope time and put it at the beginning of the process, right? So if our vision is robot surgeons, you know, in your brain, finding and killing cancer while you're at Disneyland, our reality and our boots on the ground vision is there's about a $2.25 billion market in the stomach every year for uh, endoscopy devices, um, or put another way in, in the US healthcare system, there's about six to 8 million upper endoscopies per year. And for that patient population, we are trying with our minimum viable product, with our MVP, we're trying to create a cheap mass market screening tool that might be able to address, say, 25 to 50% of those patients. And where are you sourcing the parts? It sounds like it's somewhere around $20, $30 worth of uh, parts that you're able to um, pull together for each of these little pills. Sure. Uh, you know, our system right now consists of the robot itself, which is about 35 bucks of off-the-shelf parts. And then we do have a little USB dongle right now, which uh, communicates to the robot at low frequency radio. I think that's probably about $10. So right now we're probably $45. Our goal, therefore, is to say hit $25 in volume for the system from a cost of goods sold perspective, because that way, if we're able to plug into the healthcare codes, the reimbursement codes for pill cameras, I see an opportunity to really cut the patient costs. Our stated goal is to cut the patient costs by an order of magnitude. And you can hold me to that, right? Do, do, do we achieve it? Do we fall short of it? Or are we evil overlords harvesting you know, human sickness for, for ill gains? Those numbers should be apparent, right? But drastically increase access by lowering costs and, and the hurdles. But uh, as far as the, the materials and the bill of materials go, we are a scrappy startup and we have to leverage commodity tech as much as possible. So the motors that spin our propellers, uh, we use four of those. Those come from the world of cell phone vibrators. Um, my co-founder, James, just uh, has a fancy fixture to take the weights off and we put our little tiny 3D printed fiberglass propellers on there. The camera up front is an OmniVision camera that uh, is from an old iPhone, uh, uh, the forward-facing selfie cam. And the reason we went with OmniVision is that uh, those folks are down in the San Jose, Santa Clara area. And with their campus physically near, we can go invade their campus and get caught by security to get uh, rapid technical support. We found that works a little bit faster than if you, if you uh, send an email in. And so just throughout the device, you see us trying to take devices that or, or components and chips that uh, can, be, can be tuned to our purpose. We use an FPGA, which is off the shelf, to crunch the stream of data coming out of the camera and turn that into bitmap images. FPGAs are kind of hard to code, and so we're working hard to find a software engineer who can help us do JPEG compression on that FPGA. We use a CC1310, which is a microcontroller and radio combination, to actually form our data link and handle some of the other onboard processes. Uh, but the bottom line is, I felt it was important for us to be able to cobble together a minimum viable product with as many off-the-shelf components as possible. Just because if I came to you and I said, you know, I think I can make us a moving eyeball in the stomach, but here I need $35 million to get started. 
we might not be having this conversation today, but by virtue of, of being scrappy, I can say, hey, our flex circuit has a few more boards on it than we'd like, but it does fit into a swallowable package. And we've burned about $1.1 million to date to go from a napkin sketch to, to something that's starting to look like a clinically relevant uh, product. Now we're talking that that'll get you in the door with investors. It doesn't necessarily close investor money, but where we are right now is definitely getting those meetings and, and we are slowly starting to get the commitments we need. Could you compare the process using your PillBot to a more traditional endoscopy uh, and how, uh, how the two compare and where you think you've got a, a real winner here? Sure. I'm just going to tell you the story of my friend. Uh, I, I don't want to say her real name. I've been using Jackie on my slide deck. Um, so Jackie's story, unfortunately, is relatively typical. Uh, she had terrible belly pain. She wasn't sure where it was coming from. It was kind of diffuse. Uh, so she started seeing her primary care physician and she had decent health coverage, not the best, not the worst. She got referred to different doctors. They would have her try a different diet. They would have her try an, like a drug regimen. And, you know, over the course of a year, she ended up going to the hospital more than six times and multiple months. It was almost a year long. And her symptoms actually got worse during this time. Finally, at the end of her experience, uh, she finally qualifies for the upper endoscopy. And so for your upper endoscopy, you're going to have to skip meals, hopefully not do a prep if it's upper, but skip your meals. You go in, uh, you get a central line put into you, you get sedated, they roll you into a room, you know, knocked out. And then the doctor, you know, slides a tube down, you know, either up your nose and down your throat to basically have a look around. And within 10 minutes, the, the gastroenterologist was, was able to say, oh, yeah, you have gastritis. I know exactly what drug and that cured the problem. So the question is, for the upper endoscopy patients of the world, you know, for people who have GI tract issues, do we need to make you go through this arduous year of gatekeeping? and expose you to some of the hazards and risks associated with reusing endoscopes or, you know, just sliding and jamming a tube into your body? Or can we just take that 10 minutes and kind of teleport it to the beginning of the cycle by virtue of having this, this cheap mass market screening tool, right? So that, that the cheap mass market screening tool for a substantial part of the upper endoscopy patient population is the very first push for us. And what's your plan to get PillBot to market? Well, basically just prove to FDA three things, you know, to get to market, we need to bring three critical items into alignment. The first and most critical one, obviously, is safety. The second is efficacy. This thing needs to do a job as well as an endoscope. And then the final thing is for the appropriate indication for use, right? So if I was trying to, to do crazy frontier end work or go straight into surgery, that safety efficacy indication triad would be very difficult. But if I'm looking to diagnose gastritis or a ulcer in your stomach, or maybe a buildup of weird vascular tissue in the stomach lining, which you can see visually, maybe a little stomach bleed, any of those indications are reasonable targets for this minimum viable product. So I like to tell people that we're just trying to build a moving eyeball in the stomach. We right now have a tech demonstrator that we, we test on our own bodies and we, we were fortunate enough to take the Mayo Clinic under Dr. Kambari and do a cadaver study recently. And what we're doing right now with the money that we're raising is turning this tech demonstrator, which is deliciously imperfect in every way, right? I would say it's a five to 10% perfect device right now. Sometimes 
you get a moment where you see into the future and you realize we're onto something, right? What we need to do over the next few months is turn this into a real MVP. I need the thing to pair reliably. I need a video signal that's a little bit better on the digital side, but then a lot better on the optics side. Let's get some, some lenses, some fisheye, fisheye lens, some filters in there to cut some of the haze. Once we have the MVP functional and we've proven it in limited clinical trials, say five, 10, 15, maybe maximum 20, 25 patients, right? Just on just under IRB, like institutional review board trials. Once we've proven that it works at a basic level with a small handful of patients, that's when we raise our series A and go through FDA on what we think is a 510K predicate-based pathway. And we are really standing on the shoulders of giants here, right? First of all, more than anything, we're standing on the shoulders of given imaging coming out of Israel in the late 90s. 1997 was the first swallow of, of pill cam, the pill camera. 2001, it gets FDA approval. So we have 25 years of experience swallowing pill cameras. Secondly, Medtronic, who currently owned the, the product line, the Medtronic currently owned the pill cam product line. Jeff Martha, who, who runs Medtronic, has partnered with Amazon to get pill cameras into the patient's home so that people can actually swallow the pill without having to go to the hospital. And so Jeff actually has set up a deal with Amazon where Amazon covers the physical shipping and then Amazon Web Services handles all the data through their cloud. It's, it's kind of a brilliant thing. And, and Jeff is really pioneering a new standard of care with the use of the passive pill camera platform. And then the third thing is uh, Onx Robotics or ANX Robotics out of China has recently uh, received FDA approval for the Navicam magnetically actuated pill, which is awesome. They just got approval for use in the human stomach. And so the patient lies on a gurney essentially and uh, is under this big magnetic machine that can induce motion in the pill camera platform. And uh, these, these folks are amazing. And uh, basically, more than 90% of patients who've received the Navicam diagnostic prefer it over the actual endoscopy. They say, if you can get the job done with a little eyeball that moves around in my stomach, I would really prefer that to, to getting sedated and, and you know, waking up later and you telling me what you found in my, in my passed out body. And so those three predicates, I think, set the stage for us to have little swimming robot pills in the human stomach and decouple it from the hospital. That, that's, that's really the, the key for us is call it hardcore telemedicine, but from a patient perspective, please, let's call it cheap robot pills. And after PillBot, it looks like you trademarked around the same time Pill Surgeon. You talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So, so what what are we here to do as a founding team? Right, we're here to realize our science fiction dreams. Right. I was raised on on all the all the right sci-fi, and so I don't feel like endiotics is a brilliant idea. I feel like endiotics is just an obvious idea, and we're hunting for brilliant people to help us make it real. So obviously you know, where we need to go with this is let's have rice grain sized nuclear powered brain surgeons operating in swarms, finding and killing cancer, right? It's so satisfying as an aerospace engineer who was trained to make weapons to use that same training and that, that same kind of like, you know, sinister enthusiasm. But in this case, we're just directly targeting cancer, 
right? I want to build technology that looks like an attack submarine or like the, the guidance package on an air-to-air -air missile. But instead of shooting this at a person, we're, well, we're going to very thoughtfully send it through a person and go find cancer where cancer lives and kill it, right? This, this is exciting. But let's step back through the phases, right? If if the goal is a rice grain rice grain sized nuclear powered you know attack bot, well, first of all, it's probably going to need to be bigger to be realistic, right? So pill surgeon is you know this this scary horse pill, kind of like what I'm holding in my hand with pill bot, but it just has a couple of tools that can fold out and go do a job, right? We'll probably start the pill surgeon adventure with a, you know a tissue sampler, right? Just have a little needle on center line spin the thing, maybe uh, excise a little bit of tissue, pull it in, seal it off, and then we'll go get it later, which is not trivial. We could have a whole conversation about how we get that later, right? The fun thing though, is right now our camera is on device centerline, right? So if I want a device centerline for a tool, I would put the camera off to the side. And if we're gonna do that, we might as well populate another camera on the opposite side, because now we've got stereo vision. Right now, we can have two live video uh, streams feed that into an Oculus headset, and when that doctor puts the Oculus on, they will suddenly be immersed in a three-dimensional live view of a giant stomach. And wherever they turn their head, the robot's uh, propulsion system and the closed-loop guidance system will turn the robot to to simply be the doctor's head at that small scale. And furthermore, say you were in a room with that patient. Um, and you were willing to put on some augmented reality goggles, why not have a hologram pop up inside the patient and in real time see a glowing hologram of their anatomy with a robot blinking away? I mean, this is so, so cool. We're having so much fun with this. And when we started talking, you mentioned the concept of hardcore telemedicine. And when I first came to know you, I thought the idea of it being hardcore telemedicine was because you were swallowing your own devices, but that's not really what it's about. It's more than that. And everything that you, uh, you've been talking about so far, probably it'd be a good idea to talk a little bit about what is hardcore telemedicine? What is it you're trying to do with this, uh, this uh, rallying cry? Yeah. Well, I would say that hardcore telemedicine really starts with Dr. Fred Moll, right? If you look at what Dr. Moll did with Intuitive Surgical and then Oris Health, he worked with SRI and created the first robotic surgery platform to really hit prime time. And the idea that a doctor on one side of the planet could do surgery on a patient on the other side of the planet was kind of a big deal, right? Because now you're decoupling all of that training, that lifetime of training to create that surgeon. And you're decoupling that mind from the body of the patient who could be anywhere on the planet, right? So with embiotics, I think we're trying to take some of that inspiration and ask ourselves, what's the next step? And so I think for us, Hardcore telemedicine is taking this, you know, robotic surgery and decoupling that from the hospital itself, right? I would like a typical patient to be in their living room, right? Maybe even lying in bed, you know, just like at peace. I know when I swallow these and my chairman, Alex, is driving them around my stomach, he's always saying, Tori, shut up, stop moving around, you know, give the robot a chance to, to do its job. So maybe the patient's on their couch or in their bed. But to take you to the present day and some of the challenges we're working on right now, like the, the robot I'm holding in my left hand, you'll notice is a little bit longer and slightly fatter than the one in my right hand. And we don't need to talk about what color it's stained. But this, this guy, we made a little bit bigger to get a little bit better buoyancy. 
This imperfect robot that I swallowed a few days ago uploaded 375 megabytes while we were controlling it with the Xbox controllers. And so we're on the verge of creating these epic data sets that I just can't wait to work with, with leading data scientists because I think what this, what this hardcore telemedicine really means is all of the data from every patient before you being run through an AI and bringing the latest and greatest standard of care to a patient outside of a hospital setting and cheap. This can be dirt cheap, right? That, you know, the, the, the robots don't have to cost that much. I want a healthcare provider to get their patients treated for way less. I want a doctor to make way more money because look, you don't have to be gowned up in a laboratory setting with a knocked out patient rolling in on a cart. You know, you only get to treat so many patients per hour that way. You could be in Cancun swiping on your iPhone, only you're swiping cancer with, with these little robots. So I think the goal is let's decouple patients from hospitals where possible. And although we're quite humble right now, we recently, you know, we're working a buoyancy issue. I, I mentioned we made the thing a little bit longer, so it float a little bit more nicely. Recently, I invited the crew to get in the cockpit of a Cessna 310, and we clawed our way up over Watsonville, California with the, the robot in a fish tank. And we asked the pilot to just do like a hard pushover and point the nose at the ground for a little bit. And briefly, we were weightless. And uh, for a few seconds, we were able to look into the future where buoyancy is no longer a concern for us, right? One of many things we're pushing through. And as we were falling out of the sky, it occurred to me that any one of us could be giving any other one of us an upper endoscopy in the cockpit of an airplane falling out of the sky. And it just makes me think, you know, the future is really bright for, for patients all over the world, astronauts going into to orbit and beyond, right? Like, let's please make tiny robots and use them for medicine. It's a lot of fun. And, and I think it can be good for just about everyone. Now, is this the point that when you're pitch meetings at which uh, you say uh, potential investors sometimes kind of start laughing at you? And I want to ask you, you know, wh why should people take you and your team seriously? This is funny. We just got passed on by the front man from the rock band Muse. He looked me up on LinkedIn and he's like, your robots look cool. You know, and he's, he's associated with a cool VC, at Helium 3 Ventures. They're really good people, right? And uh, so we, we got into a meeting and we got Dr. Kambari from Mayo Clinic. We got Dr. Lubke from the Alphabet X world. And, uh, and then myself in my living room and I started showing them robots and the videos and the sketches. And um, like the hundreds of VCs who have turned us down already, and thank goodness there's a handful that have said yes. But for the hundreds that say no, they all say the same thing. They say, this is really cool. We really like your team. We love the vision. But we, we feel like you're maybe a little bit too early for us, which is very appropriate. Venture capitalists have a very difficult job, which is they need to say no to 99% of the awesome ideas that make it through the funnel to their desk, right? So if you're a VC every single day, you're basically seeing the coolest stuff ever and then having to say no. It's a, that's a difficult job right there. And honestly, we're just glad because although they passed on us today, they said, we want to be a part of the story. We, we need to see the updates. We want to see the videos. We're living in interesting times, right? When, when we look at what happened with Theranos, Theranos was such a beautiful vision, right? A beautiful and wonderful vision with very passionate people behind it. But the industry expects a lot, right? I, I get asked every day to oversell endiotics. I just won't do it because in the end, Theranos was able to raise $945 million on some untruths, and then eventually those cascaded into 
straight up lies, right? And I'm holding human lives in trust with this technology, right? When our devices work great, people's lives will be saved. When we fail to do our job and when we screw up, people will die, right? This is life and death. We take this very seriously, right? This is why we put these in our own bodies first, right? I haven't done any animals because I can learn more in my own stomach than I can in a pig. And I don't need a pig to die today, <laughs> right? Perhaps eventually we, we get to that point, but, but I actually see a potential to maybe avoid animal studies if possible. We've burned $1.1 million to go from a notebook sketch to the janky robots we show off every day. And, you know, we're, we're looking to see the, to meet the team of venture capitalists that sees that team and sees that level of commitment and says, yeah, I want to be a part of that adventure and we can put our money where our mouth is. I mean, I put my robot where my mouth is. Tell me a little bit more about the team. Can you run through the uh, co-founders and other notables who are making this happen? Sure. So I, I did 12 years of hard time in the med device startup scene before this. I was part of three exits. I'm, I'm a good mechanical designer. That's what I would call myself. Um, Dr. Lukey or Alex Maverick, as we call him uh, uh, colloquially. <laughs> <laughs> Alex is, a, a, you know, he, he has a doctorate in aerospace engineering and has been running high level tech at X and other places for, for many years. He's put satellites into orbit, been all over the world, uh, manages our deep tech stack. I think the superstar of antibiotics is probably James Erd. James and I are best friends. The three of us met building giant Tesla coils out in the desert at Burning Man. James is a machinist. He, he's now our co-founder and principal R&D engineer, but James collects machine tools. And in, in our warehouse, we're up to about 60,000 pounds of cast iron. We make our own robots, right? We collect the machines. Uh, a lot of our machines came from SRI, actually, where a uh, where the, the Da Vinci surgical robot was first prototyped. We just pick up the, the castaways, the things that uh, people can't use anymore, and are slowly amass the, the tools you need to build crazy robots. So at, on the engineering side, you know, we're pretty, pretty strong with hardware, mechanical hardware, and uh, really looking hard to get that next brilliant electrical computer and software engineer onto the team. I'd like to think that we've built robotic hardware now that's worthy of the world's best software. I, th I think that's where the moment we are in time right now. On the medical side, we have three people that have, have really gone above and beyond and put their own careers and their own names on the line to be associated with endiotics. So right at the top of our team would be Dr. Dr. Vivek Kumbari. He, he's a PhD and an MD. He runs gastroenterology at Mayo Clinic. Five minutes into the cell phone call with him, uh, he said, I have to be a part of this. You know, this 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 concept of tiny robots operating independently inside the human body is what we all know the future is. And you guys are the first company that's just going straight for it, right? That meant a lot to us, but we would never have met Dr. Kambari if it wasn't for uh, Dr. Boo Hussein Hay, who holds a similar position at King's College of London. You know, if Mayo is number one in the world in, in uh, gastroenterology, then uh, King's College of London is number three. Who's number two? Johns Hopkins. That's where Dr. Kambari came from before he went to lead GI at Mayo. Dr. Hay has been a proponent of us for a long time. He was willing to go into his Rolodex, so to speak, and introduce us to the real movers and shakers that, that, you know, that are his peers. And then the first doctor who really put their time into endiotics, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Benjamin Bonas. Uh, he's an MD. He's an ER doc at a Kaiser Oakland flight surgeon with the 144th. As an ER doc, he's our gateway to all of the fields of medicine because 
we feel like these this platform we're creating is going to be relevant outside of the world of gastroenterology, right? I want brain surgery. I want emergency medicine. I want GI. Honestly, I spent nine years of my life designing the Phoenix Phoenix atherectomy system to remove plaque from arteries. Obviously, we want to go into the vascular system. We want to make weird robots that crawl through all of the areas of the body and do stuff. And then uh, Ben also holds the interesting title as my older brother. And uh, sometimes uh, we'll get a text in the brother's text thread that, that'll say something like, look up jackass, and uh, he'll be roaring overhead in F-15. And it's it's just kind of cool to, to have a, a team as eclectic as this, because uh, while everyone comes from a different walk of life, you know, I was born in a dirt floor cabin that my dad built out in the mountains, you know, so I have, a, I have an interesting perspective from that. Everyone's coming at it from a different perspective, but we all share this passion of, can we measurably improve people's lives? And can we please play with tiny robots? Because the combination is really fun. Well, I can't wait to see how it turns out. So thanks for speaking with me, Tori. Podcast listeners can find more online at medicaldesignandoutsourcing.com and in the March edition of MDO Magazine. So Tori, what have you learned through all of this? And uh, what kind of advice would you have for uh, startup founders of their own? Very simple. And I would say, first of all, stealth mode is for cowards. Publicly declare what you want to do when you have zero traction and zero funding and see if you as a founder can infect other people with your vision and begin to build a team and make progress and build traction faster than anyone can compete with you. Because that founding team is worthy of investment. You don't need to build this thing in stealth. If you have to build it in stealth to have a shot, maybe you're not strong enough. All right. Well, that is a wrap, Chris Newmarker. Let's do the social media thing. Where can folks find you out there in social media? Hey, you can find me uh, on LinkedIn, Chris Newmarker, just like a new marker. And you can find me on uh, Twitter at Newmarker. Always happy to chat. I am on Twitter at MedTechTom and I am on LinkedIn, Tom, S-A-L-E-M-I. Please do. What do we want them to do, Chris? Want to like, follow, subscribe. That's right. This is this is yeah. Chris Newmarker actually saying that uh, as Jim Hammerhand thought it was a sound effect. Nope, that's <laughs> Chris Newmarker with his pitch perfect delivery of like, follow, subscribe every single time. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) He's a professional. He knows what he's doing. You don't have a like, like, follow, subscribe button. (laughs) I do not. No, no. This is this is 100% organic. Like, follow, subscribe. Uh, Please do all the Godzilla yell in the past. I didn't do that. That is not you. I I ripped that off the internet like a good podcaster. So. Uh, please do like, follow, and subscribe. Please do share this podcast episode. Please do subscribe to the Device Talks podcast network channel. You'll get this episode, this podcast. You'll get our Intuitive Talks podcast, our Striker Talks podcast. And of course, you can also subscribe to Mectronic Talks on its own podcast channel. And you can find them all on devicetalks.com and all of them on all major podcast applications. Uh, you also uh, please do register for our upcoming device talks meetings we'll have device talks boston may 10th and 11th device talks minnesota june 6th and 7th and uh, use the code dtw for device talks weekly btw 25 to save 25 percent off the registration price you gotta be uh, there or be square absolutely chris newmarker and i will both be there and be square so we are pulling off the impossible we are gonna do both at once yes there we go <laughs> <laughs> uh and uh tune in 
tune in on Tuesday at 4 p.m. We'll have a, uh, a great Device Talks Tuesday put together by Silicon Lab. So that's a lot going on. Krista uh, yeah. Marker, have a great weekend. Great to see you, man. Hey, great to see you too, man. Take care. Take care, everybody. Talk to you soon.